Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Welcome to the Watford Buzz podcast with today's episode in association with the Brentford FC tactical team. Today is a special episode where we are going to try to do some tactical and statistical digging into the game that's just gone Watford versus Brentford. And to help me do that is show regular Jordan Weimer and from the Brentford tactical team, David Anderson. Hello to you both. Uh, hello. Yeah. How are you doing, Matt? Hi, Jordan. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me. This is quite exciting, isn't it? A little debrief. Um, yeah. Thanks for having me on board. Yeah. Good to be here. Looking forward to it. Good stuff. Okay, well, gents, it's a, it's a game that finished 1-1, but it actually wasn't really uh, an uninteresting game like uh, some 1-1s do turn out to be. Uh, firstly, Jordan, how did Watford change from the previous fixture with Birmingham for this one? What, what, what did we see coming into this? Well, we saw us revert back to that uh, four, four-man back four. Uh, we just switched to the 4-3-3. And we tried to move things around a little bit in the field in a different way, but we still had that that same three central midfield group. Um, we were very wing-based again. Uh, we just didn't really quite click, especially in that first half. We did struggle to progress the ball mm-hmm. and uh, Brentford definitely had the better of it. And David, how did Brentford change for this one or, or did they change at all? Uh, no, no, I think it was pretty much as expected. Um, the only curveball could have been forced coming into the starting lineup, But yeah, it was Brentford's sort of standard 4-3-3, uh, the single pivot, two eights in front of midfield. Um, two wide forwards supporting Tony so yeah back four it was um it was pretty much expected yeah so the uh the first half was uh pretty much Brentford that had the majority of the possession and, and at the end of the first half Thomas Frank was a uh, pretty happy with that yeah it was an exceptional start actually I, I think um uh, Jordan in his preview uh, noted that you might get a bit of a shock and sort of a level of watching or seeing a team come up against Brentford um and yeah, yeah, we started really well. In fact, it was Thomas Frank said it post game. He said it was one of the best halves we've had so far uh, this season. And yeah, we were totally dominant in every area. I think Watford had a couple of balls into the box, two at most. But really, the possession, the midfield rotations, um, sort of all of the passes, uh, mo- the majority of chances were all. Um, it was all Brentford really. It was pretty much one way traffic, and it was it just showed a real golfing class. I think Deeney struggled for sort of pressing from the front. It was he couldn't really stop anyone on possession there. The midfielders were kind of chasing shadows. Um, the Brentford's three totally dominating the three of Watford, and uh, we got some good crosses in as well. And um, a couple of inches here and there, and it might have been a couple of goals instead of uh, nil-nil going in at half-time. 
Yeah, I think I think Brentford ultimately were kind of the style in which they play in possession, especially through that midfield and they would stay in the change of the positions. That's something ideally we'd like to see more from ourselves. Um, we we are kind of the opposite of of Brentford in possession in that game. I think it's really like polar opposite in terms of how we approached it and how we actually executed it. Um, in terms of in terms of Dini being isolated in his own, our, our offensive build ups very very basic at the moment, and and you saw you saw that stark contrast. So yeah, I think there's a lot of possession from uh, from Brentford in in deeper areas, and they looked very comfortable to come come make them combinations at the back and then slowly work their way into midfield. And once they got there, they were they were very capable. So yeah, I think. Our midfield was set up to be that sort of defensive, off off the ball, kind of chasing shadow kind of game. Um, yeah, Brentford really kind of gave us a bit of a lesson in terms of how to how to run the ball through your through your defence and midfield for sure. In terms of shots on target, who um, had the most, and 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 how was that reflected in the XG? Um, I mean, I think the whole game was pretty even. We can see in XG it was quite tight. Um, non penalty XG uh, really tight as well, with the one penalty each. Um, Without going too much into just the numbers, I think what was quite interesting is how even the game ended up. And we'll probably go on to talk about this a bit later, but the red card influenced that. But yet, with the red card, the game is still really even, so it probably shows Brentford's dominance there as well. Um, Without the penalty, I think Watford did look quite limited. I couldn't see really how that ball was going to get close enough to the box. There was a couple of shots from outside the box and uh, working into the final third, sort of hit towards Dini and then quite hopeful and nothing... There were no clear patterns of how Watford were going to get away shots, whereas Brentford, when the game was nil-nil, you could see that there were clear ways of how the ball was getting into the final third and how they were going to create some chances at goal. So just without looking at the numbers, I think seeing how, um, not focusing too much on them, just seeing how even the game ended up was quite interesting from a point of view of it took it took Brentford to go a man down for it to end up so close. Jordan, what was Watford's uh, strategy to try and get the opening goal in the first half and, and why didn't it seem to work for them? I think it's just been a continuing point really for us in terms of trying to get that goal. It's there's no real cohesive plan that you can see. It's a lot of uh, a lot of being conservative and defensive, and then when you get the opportunity to go forward, it looks a bit less, a little more improvised, and not quite so cohesive as when you see teams like Brentford play. Um, so yeah, it's the, the plan is hard to pin down. It's been mostly get the ball wide and try and get balls into the box. I think last night we struggled to actually get wide and get advanced well, and we ended up getting a lot of crosses in, maybe a little bit too early, or when we haven't actually been able to occupy the box. And I think down the right hand side, especially, we struggled with uh, with this Manasai putting a lot of crosses, but often very early, and he didn't really didn't really attack his man, which we kind of want to see. Um, but I think I still think we are struggling to to shift that mentality of being that defensive counter attacking team and being that more kind of uh, aggressive on the ball and being a little bit more patient and trying to build up in that sense. I mean, last night. The despite having less of the ball I think we didn't manage a single counter-attack actually so it kind of shows you that even though we are sitting off the ball we haven't quite got that balance of defence and attack right yet at all The second half produced um, a very different picture actually at least the first part of it both teams came out and Watford seemed to have found themselves but Brentford they didn't really have the same emphasis they had in the first half David yeah, it was really noticeable actually. So I, I was actually watching it with a Watford supporting friend and we were sort of discussing it and being, he was quite brutal about it the first half. And then we probably thought it fitted in with Ivic's game plan. Sort of he knows that Brentford are better on the ball. He, we, he knows that Brentford are quite shot happy. He can, um, we'll, we'll probably beat, we'll probably beat Brentford, uh, sorry, beat Watford in the shot totals and, um, and in possession. So let them sort of burn themselves out a little bit. Let them sort of go forth and, 
see what they've got and, and soak a little bit of it up. And the second half, I think straight from um, the kickoff, basically, it was it, lo- it looked there was a subtle change. I think Garner moved a little... His positioning was a little bit more interesting in the second half. I don't, I don't think he was... I, I think he struggled to get on the ball at all, really, in the first, but um, uh, sort of moved a little bit... F- I think he was a little bit more positioned on the right at times and came in a little bit more, but got a bit more of an impact um, on the game. But it was definitely... There was definitely more impetus and sort of more momentum in Watford in that second half, just willingness to attack. And possibly that, that could have been the game plan. But Brentford struggled to react to that. And that, those first 10 minutes saw a real lift in Watford. And it obviously led to the chance uh, that won the penalty as well. It absolutely did. Yeah, Watford, they, they played a lot better in that first part of the second half, Jordan. It's, what do you think was, uh, was, was different? What, what do you think Ivic said? And, and how did that reflect in the numbers? Yeah, I think that was probably the biggest uh, tactical change Ivic made during the game is that switch at half-time. I think we were a bit more aggressive off the ball. We started to press her up the pitch and, and we saw a lot, of, uh, a lot of benefit from that. We actually, you know, as David was saying, we forced some chances from it and it looked a lot better for us. It was a little bit more risky perhaps, but I think it was at the stage where Brentford were having such dominance of possession in their own in their own half and it was it was giving them lots of opportunities to kind of slowly progress that ball forwards and it was hurting us so I think that was a positive change from us um it was good to see and that's probably the uh the, the the part of the game that actually made us a competitive outfit in it because before that we looked like we were being completely dominated because we were and uh yeah I think that's Ivage's plan was just to try and get back in the game that way uh, I think actually, as David was saying, the positioning of Garner, yeah, he became more advanced and he was able to get forward and try and try and disrupt that defensive build-up that we'd been seeing in the first half. Um, actually, just looking for the numbers, it kind of surprised me how similar some of the actual some of the actual numbers were in terms of passing. But I think a big difference between uh, between Brentford and Watford, uh, despite having similar numbers of passes forward. And through the defence, the tempo was played out was much better with Brentford and seen the movement was much better. So the combinations were just much more effective. And uh, we didn't get that going, unfortunately. And ultimately, the attacking play for Watford produced the opportunity for the penalty. Was it a penalty, in your opinion? David first? Uh, was it a penalty? Uh, yeah, I think it definitely was a penalty. It, it wasn't really in doubt. Um, the incident that sort of came afterwards, we, we might, we'll discuss that in a second, but... Yeah, the, there was talk of sort of was he offside or not, and I, I think he was onside. I'm, I'm not sure what VAR would say, but to me, he looked onside. Um, good run, and Pinnock's Pinnock's sort of been pulled into a bit of a trap. I think I think he should have. He's quite quick, Pinnock, and I, I think he had legs, but to, to sort of get round um, Saar. But I, I think he was wanted to make contact with him, probably slightly too early, and Saar slowed down just enough, just so it, so it was coming, and it's a it's a messy collision and. Pinnock can sort of plead innocence that he hasn't made a challenge or wanted to get out of the way or just sort of ran into him. But Saar's been quite clever and Pinnock has been conned slightly and uh, it looks really messy and you can't really give anything other than a penalty in that situation. So, yeah, for me, it was a definite penalty. Whether whether he should have gone, whether um, the penalty is enough, whether those things are, are still up in the air, that's that's all a bit of a mess. Mm. But, yeah, it was it was a clear foul, well won by Saar and... Um, uh, and just a little bit, not naivety, but just he, he's just been played a little bit there, Pinnock. I think he was just too eager to make contact, and he, yeah, you got to think: does he want to? Does he want to let the shot come away, or or is he going to risk a penalty where Rare has a chance to save the penalty, or does he prevent that shot? And I think he probably chose the wrong one in the end. Jordan, uh, Stonewall penalty for you, or, or disagree? 
No, I think I'm pretty much agreed there. I think Saar just clever bit of running and he makes it very difficult for Pinnock and he forces him to make a decision. Anytime you can get a defender to do that, then you've got an opportunity to exploit it. And I, I think it was kind of unfortunate. They're just, you know, two sets of long legs kind of running side by side. There's a good chance that things are going to tangle mm-hmm. up and it was very difficult, but the advantage is always going to go to the attacker in that situation. But question I did want to ask you actually, David, did you feel... Did you when you watch uh, when you watch us play? Do you actually feel like Ismail Assar is a, is a is a constant threat, or did you feel like he was quite anonymous in the game? Uh, I, no, I'd say he's a threat. I think he was probably your biggest threat, actually. Um, uh, sort of when he has the ball, you can't lunge in. So Rico Henry is probably one of the best left backs in the league, but there wasn't he didn't get much change out of him. I think the first, in the first half there were a couple of crosses that were blocked, and he did actually get a ball across Rico and get past him. But no, no, not easy at all. I think. This is yeah. When you sort of watch your own players and you watch them so much, you just sometimes their 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 wow factor or their um, their ability fades. But no, he was he was a definite threat, and yeah, he he won the penalty for you. Um, he gave Rico a really good game down that side. Um, he floats around a little bit more than I was expecting as well. Actually, I didn't. I, I think his movement in the final third, probably especially in the second half, to get closer to Dini, and then obviously when we were down to ten men, was dangerous. So no, no, definitely definitely a threat and. Um, yeah, a, a constant player that needed to be watched. And well, yeah, I think he yeah. did, did get the better of us in the end. Well, it's interesting you bring up his movement there because that's something that's been a bit of an issue for us is he's, he's occupied the right-hand side so much, almost to a, to his detriment. He he's, he hugs that line and he, he's not really had that, that freedom or whether it's by choice or by coaching, he's not really actually moved into them central areas. And obviously he won the penalty by making a little bit more of a narrow run. Um, mm. something, that, something that we've been a bit disappointed with is how, or me personally, I think quite a few Watford fans is last season, he, he was very aggressive on the ball and he, he would run at defenders where this year he's been very quick to put the cross in. Um, even when we haven't got numbers in the box, and I think it does kind of downplay his ability a little bit. Um, he's not quite he's not quite been able to adapt to that change in mentality. I think, and that's something we've definitely seen um, with Watford as a whole. Really, is what you go down from the from the Premier League, and you've suddenly got to shift that mentality completely to be a, a more dominant team. And we haven't quite made that transition from a counter attacking side to that kind of more possession based uh, build up style that we've just not really seen work out so yeah Sars definitely been one of the ones that's been affected by that I just wondered what it came across like for for yourself so yeah it's good to hear you think he's a threat but it just needs to actually come together for him now I think yeah he certainly was a threat and he was a threat enough to get himself the penalty but just after the penalty was when things started to go a bit askew uh, Pinnock was the man who brought him down. I think that's what everyone saw. But the red card went a different way, David. <laughs> it did, yeah. It, was, it wasn't a great night for the officials. It's not... I don't want this to sound like I'm sort of berating officials that we didn't win or they had a major influence on the game or the outcome. But the officiating was poor in terms of... Uh, just in terms of some calls and and were they watching or were they paying attention or was it was it such a fast game that they could lose track I, I don't think it was I thought it was quite a steady game but yeah some awful decisions it was Mads Beck Sorensen um, our centre back uh, doesn't look too similar to Pinnock to me um, I, I don't know if I'm missing something there but yeah he was the one that got the red and then pleading that it wasn't me and in the end Pinnock was sent off so just it wasn't a good look for sort of officiating having control of the game uh, I, th- I think it looked quite bad in that sense. Um, they got the right decision in the end. Obviously, they they conferred and uh, it was it was rescinded and given to the right person. But mm. along with a, n- a number of other incidents, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure they were that on top of it. And I, I think there were a couple of other actually incidents that probably looked more like penalties or that, that went astray. And 
I don't know. It, I think this is something that we're probably going to talk about, or you might talk about on your channel a little bit further, how how fans have influenced um, some decision-making and whether whether fans influence a home team. I, I don't think it's so much the team that gets impacted. It's actually probably more decisions and um, this natural levelling up between making the game fair between fan, team and rival team and, and this this sort of confusion of fight that they sort of find themselves coming into. And that, that has more of an impact as well, sort of. No, I think it's pretty spot on. I mean, we've we've just come down down to the Premier League, and we've we had the season of VAR, so we have a uh, experience of that as well. And we we were pretty pretty unfortunate as it happens in quite a few occasions last season. Uh, we definitely on the balance of things, we were quite harshly done by by VAR, and it's very disappointing. But I think there was maybe an air of it would be refreshing to kind of go back to this traditional refereeing. And I think honestly, these opening opening few months has has kind of been a bit of an awakening towards that as well. Because I think the officiating has been pretty poor um and not just i'm not saying this from just a watford perspective i'm talking about for both teams i thought and as you say mm. the the refereeing last night it hurt both of us um and you know i agree with you it kind of undermines the decision of the referee a little bit um when he's you know mistaken the actual players who are involved so yeah it's it's very poor and it changes the game massively i mean officiating is a big part obviously and if you have those sort of incidents happening regularly enough then you know it just takes out some of the uh some of the performance of the team it gets undermined by a decision that changes the the outcome of the game so yeah it, it's something that has to be has to be improved upon and it's it's an unfortunate sideshow to what you know should be a close competitive game i just wonder do you feel as though the level of refereeing in the premier league is is better than than the championship and and, and below I, I do think so I, I do think it is it is better but there's there's the same problems exist um, it, it, it's, a, it's a difficult thing to do I mean clearly there's not an easy solution to it because it happens in officiating all over the world across all different sports so there's always going to be elements of human error and it's hard to address sometimes wh- where they come from um, but I think I think there are some positives that we've seen from VAR it's just the application of that hasn't been great either so it's very difficult to to come to a to a definitive answer at this point but I think VAR is is the kind of right direction it just needs to be uh, it needs to be used in a way that can actually be a little bit more consistent and a little clearer because because right now there's either one has pros and cons and I think no matter what one you're actually you're actually playing within you definitely feel like you're being harshly done by at times and I think both teams have an argument for that last night it just creates a, a distraction you don't really want to have to be focusing on yeah I totally agree um I think that the VAR itself is an amazing tool and video assistant referees is it's the potential to sort of revolutionize and actually be good it's just it needs to be refined it needs to be it needs to be seamless in terms of uh I think we need to have a referee so obviously we have the on-field referee but the the video analysis referee needs to have sort of a similar level of importance watch this is I've always thought this they need to be watching the state watching the game at the same sort of level and kind of and kind of talking the referee through the game it can't just be one person there and then sort of uh, letting big decisions go to VAR and then someone else who's not quite qualified to make them and sort of trying to follow a book too much it needs to be a more collaborative effort between using the tools that we have and then sort of moving more importance away from the referee on the pitch I, I think I think something like that or basically the fourth official I've said this before on other channels but the fourth official is pretty much worthless in sport in football anyway sorry they just sort of check, show numbers to the to the crowd for substitutions and then calm down the the head coaches really they should be assisting the game they should be watching it from another angle and supporting like heavily supporting not sort of 
uh, not just sort of there, but they should actually be a big part of the game. And we, we have the money in football to do it. It's just whether whether there's enough um, impetus to get it right. Do you, if you feel as though um, taking a leaf out of out of rugby's book and also the, the NFL, how uh, on-field referees explain their decisions in real time to the crowd and and the, and the TV audience as well? Do you think that would be something well, that would be beneficial? It has been tried, hasn't it? It has been tried and trialed, especially in Australia. I think they've done a few sort of similar things where the refs are mic'd up and spoken and you hear what they're saying and there's a little bit more collaborative. But... Um, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not sure if that is the answer. I, I don't think that's it. I think it's more. I, I think at the. I, I feel like at the same time, the running of the game can't just be left to a referee on the pitch just to monitor all angles. There needs to be someone else coming in, and just it needs to be constant communication and sort of help in case he has missed something. And and I think we're just a long way from that. And until we get to something like that, we, we're probably going to always fall into this this trap of um, of blame and sort of errors. But yeah, I don't know how you feel about that, Jordan. I think I think you're right in terms of having the extra assistant referee and having someone that's monitoring the game. I mean, it says a lot when if you're looking through Twitter during a game, you you get accurate accurate descriptions of what's going on and identifying that if it's a foul or not from the fans before you've actually got a definitive decision made from the, from the referee at times, especially when it comes to VAR. So it just shows you how there's a breakdown in communication at VAR level and it's obviously non-existent without that. So having someone that can watch the game and, and be actively seeing it from a different perspective, I mean, being down on the pitch as a referee, you, it's impossible to see everything. It's it's very difficult. It's you know, you, if you've played at any level, you know how it's it's harder to see decisions from from certain angles and distances. And some refs do a better job than others, but ultimately, it's you know, it's not a perfect system. And having someone else that can give a better better view of it and be in a position to have a you know a more three sixty kind of over the field looking down view and and have a better idea of how things are how things are playing out is just I mean, it, it's nothing but positive for me. And they need to have that authority to be able to you know say to the referee if they're defi- if it's definitive and it's clear then, then it should be able to be done i'm not sure if there's a if there's a part of you know maybe it's undermining the referee he feels i think that's kind of been a little bit of a problem with var too there's a there's a weird sort of ego in play mm-hmm. um and you know people stick to their guns a bit with their decisions and it can create a, a bit of a messy situation but I think maybe with the NFL it's a little bit different because they have those they have those natural pauses in in game to yeah. to view these things and they've got a different different rhythm it's not as fluid as uh, as something like like football so it, you can draw from them sports for sure but every every um every sport has their has their issues uh, something I do like with the NFL which I think is an interesting thing to to look at is they often have they have refereeing teams so looking at that from a soccer football perspective you'd have a line two linesmen and the referee that work together as a team consistently I think that does help I think having that communication helps um, you might see a few less um, few less errors just purely if we have an extra comfort with yeah. each other and that that kind of idea of role a little bit more I think if you're switching around all these all these uh, officials each week it might create a little bit of uh, you know it's, it's harder to communicate they're not as comfortable with each other and it, it, you lose a little bit of that so there are definitely things to draw from from all sports but as of yet no no sport in, in particular has got it nailed on perfect there's lots of things that can be improved but I think using technology and appropriately is, is definitely the forward because we've seen some instances of how it can be used well right let's uh head away from refereeing decisions now just because i feel like we've bashed them too much already and we've got to get back to the game but after the the penalty that was well dispatched by troy deeney and and a little word on troy deeney there jordan he uh he certainly knows how to score a penalty doesn't he 
He does, and we, you know, the question before the game is he going to go down the middle again, and he he did, and it was just just too powerful in the end. But I mean, you do feel like he's on borrowed time. But if he does miss one, then ultimately he still had a pretty good ratio, and it's it's kind of worth running into the ground until the until someone stops him because it's a very difficult thing to stop. And I think you know we all know where it's going, and evidently Ray did too. So yeah, Troy just doing what he does when it comes to taking spot kicks, and it was enough to kind of give us that lead and. Yeah, it, it was it was impressive again just to see that confidence to go for it. And then moments later, when you'd imagine Watford would be sort of in the ascendancy, um, another penalty is given. Another, in my opinion, correctly given penalty. What do you think of that one, David? Uh, yes, yeah, I think it was. Um, yeah, I, I think it was a penalty. I don't think um, there was much doubt about that one. Uh, I think there was a couple of others that could have been penalty as well. The Chalibur one where well, it's, it's a little bit... Um, bit dubious at the moment sort of you've got the cane spear that he keeps doing in the Premier League where um, I, I think Tony held his position and Chalaba kind of came along the top of him and there wasn't much intention of playing the ball but I've seen a lot I've seen a lot flakier penalties given than that um, but yeah it was it was Tony's one was definitely a penalty yeah I, I think that's um, I think that's the right decision yeah and a very different penalty taking style that we saw from Tony <laughs> compared to that to that of Troy Deeney yeah, it's the it's the it's the complete opposite to Dini, isn't it? Um, Dini steps up and he hits that thing harder than you could ever hit anything. But Tony is very different. It's really subtle. He just sort of watches the keeper, waits for any movement, and he does. It's it's a hard skill. It doesn't take. He doesn't even look at the ball. He just knows where it is, plants his foot, and places it. And uh, yeah, it's. It's it's weird, like you're talking about Dini in terms of everyone knows where he's going to go, and he, when he misses one, one's coming, and. Uh, I think about the flack that Tony's going to receive when he when he misses one of his penalties. But it's a really good technique. The goal the goal doesn't move. The ball doesn't move. You hope um, just opens up his body and places it the opposite way to where the keeper goes. I, th- I think the challenge will be when a keeper sort of faces him up and actually t- just tries to wait even longer and longer and pushes it back onto him. But yeah, wonderful penalty taker and uh, long may it continue. Is that his regular style? Or is, it's not something we were sort of special for Watford. That, that's how no. it <laughs> No, no, it wasn't a special Hornets penalty. It was a, um, this is his style. Yeah, he's he's just um, he's just super confident. But it's not it's not arrogance. It's it's like he just knows his ability. He's um, he's really he just strikes a clean ball off the instep and yeah it's 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 a skill he's perfected. Um, Lyle Taylor does something similar for um, Nottingham Forest and. It's it's weird. These guys just sort of get branded as like arrogant centre forwards. Um, just, but it's it's a skill, and if they can if they can repeat if they can repeat it basically time and time again, then you can call them whatever you want. They're they're really talented at that. And uh, yeah, it wasn't it wasn't special for you. No, he's perfected it. <laughs> I think stuff. the variation in penalty styles is very indicative of the two teams and style as well, wasn't it? <laughs> the the cultured finish from from Tony and the driven down the middle from from Dini, I think, was pretty. Yeah, summed up the game pretty well, actually. Um, quick question on Tony, actually. His movement, I thought, was really, really good again. I thought he, he worked across that back line quite well, which is something that opposition forwards haven't done too much against us um, so far. They were dropping; He was dropping into that space and kind of making it very difficult for Cabaselli, uh, especially, I thought, at times. Um, has he been a big upgrade for you in the central forward position this season? Has it been like a nice change in terms of just the actual role of your striker and the actual mould that he's in? Yeah, it's interesting you say upgrade. I, I don't think that's the right word. It's um, Watkins played there last season, and Watkins is just a very different forward. So Watkins is a converted winger. So 
he's naturally more comfortable at um, picking the ball up in the wide areas or or sort of rotating out of like the central space into the wide areas and causing causing issues that way. Whereas Tony is a centre forward. He's played in a pair, but he he's much more of a sort of box centre forward. He, He's just much more of a traditional centre forward, so he doesn't have the ball carrying ability. He's not going to come deep and spin you and then drive um, thirty yards towards goal. He's he's much tighter. Um, just wants to get stuck in a little bit more. But last night was probably his most uh, well, I guess it's his most mobile game in terms of being physical, um, sort of running the channels, and um, coming short to pick the ball up. He was just unstoppable. And even when we were down to ten men, I, I don't th- I don't think it felt like we were down to ten men. There was obviously you, your possession grew, but. Tony's was still occupying both centre backs, and it was yeah. From our perspective, it's really pleasing because he he kind of has everything. He could do everything that Watkins can do, but it's it's his mobility and the way he moves and his touch that's a lot weaker because he isn't a dribbler and he isn't a ball carrier. So the sooner well, he is rapidly developing that kind of that side of the game. And if if he does, I, I don't see many. He's basically like a young version of Deeney. But also with the um, with the sort of with a better well the touch as well and the movement and um, yeah it was I, was I was just quite glad he was on our side. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say upgrade is probably the wrong word. I thought I mean Watkins, is someone I, one of my first reports I ever did was on Ollie Watkins. I think he's a great player, um, mm-hmm. but I think there's something just about uh, about Tony that's just that kind of he, he suits the way Brentford play extremely well. And obviously Watkins did too. He was extremely productive and he obviously got the big move off the back of it. But there's something just about watching Tony and that team that he just he just suits everything you're about as a, as a side and I think he just offers you he offers you really good balance in that position um, yeah. Watkins is extremely competent carrying the ball and, mm. and obviously I think last season you from from the bits I saw you looked you looked like a team that was able to focus and lean on that individual carrying of the ball a little bit more but now it seems that you kind of shifted a little bit a little bit more towards that build up from from your front three and your midfielders as a whole and, and become a little bit more of a intricate side and in, in, at times even though of course you were able to last year it just looks like you've got a little bit more balance up front now yeah absolutely so the the problem last year and why we came up unstuck against a number of teams very similar sort of deep lying stodgy teams um was because we did we didn't have anyone to pin themselves physically onto back lines like tony did last night so watkins would try hard but naturally you're playing with three but really you're playing a forward line with three wide forwards who just roam around and sort of rotate and there was never really a fixed point to pivot from in that forward line and Watkins tried but he just isn't the same kind of player as Tony so now you're seeing um, we could have done with Tony last year but this is what if we had Tony last year I think this team would have probably gone up and it would have gone up in the automatic positions it just missed a centre forward who with, the, with his physicality and then the other qualities we're talking about as well but that's definitely something we've been facing too is, is facing teams that are able to sit back and soak up pressure you've got to look for new ways to break them down mm. and if you don't have someone I mean I feel like, I mean, this is a, this is a long time ago. The first report I did on on, uh, on Watkins, but something I noticed I noticed even then was his back to goal play was definitely a weaker part of his game. Uh, and when you do have that lack of space in behind, he he didn't quite feel comfortable. And I think that's something that Tony's good at. He's he's good at being impatient and and making runs that are awkward for the defender rather than having to rely so much on on what he can do when he has the ball at his feet. I think he opens up a lot of space for the opposition and uh, for, for for his teammates. Sorry, and that's something that we've not really had. Uh, figure in Dini's very as he's aged, he's become very stagnant in in the central areas, and he doesn't really make things too difficult for for his opponents. So we we rely on a lot from the uh, the movement from our wing, and it 
wasn't quite there again last night. But I think in terms of a, a blueprint of how to attack teams um, that are going to sit back off you, I think last night and, and just Brentford in general were pretty good, a pretty good blueprint for us to look at as a team too and how we can maybe adapt to playing that sort of opposition. Following on from the penalty that was, uh, again, very well dispatched this time from Tony, there was a whole heap of the second half still to play and you felt at that time as though Watford might be able to take advantage of the fact that they were playing against 10 men. It didn't really seem to pan out that way though. Um, David, did, did the shape change from a Brentford perspective to try and be more defensive or, or did, did they carry on playing the same way? Yeah, this is this is Brentford all over. So the mindset when you're sort of yeah, most teams fall into this. You've you're you've got your goal, you're you're drawing. Let's just sit back and defend this. But it's not really how um, sort of modern like the, the numbers don't tell you to do that. It's, it's not beneficial. So you should really attack, and you should you should try and spend as much time attacking as you can to run the clock down, and actually also sneak opportunities yourself. So Frank was really clever, and he brought uh, Marcus Force on. Um, uh, Marcus Force got really close to Tony and it was a front two so he said it was a um, uh, yeah like a 4-3-2 we were playing tried to keep some of the integrity in midfield and keep the four at the back and uh, try and get them quite narrow and compete in the wings when it did go out there but the two up front and t- as I said Tony made even even when we were down to 10 he made it seem like he was putting enough pressure basically on Kong and um, Cavalicelli that they they weren't going to have an easy game even though we were a man down and he was just working the pair of them really, really hard. Um, so some of the goal kicks coming short and um, sort of spinning in behind, letting it drop over or just bringing it down. And he nearly got force in a couple of times as well, actually, from just really good touches and then turning and spinning him in. So, yeah, the, 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 to keep the attacking principles, to have two players central occupying your two, uh, your two centre-backs and then... Yeah, it, it was just, it was really pleasing from our perspective because we felt, I, I definitely felt there was serious goal threat. And um, uh, I, I, if I'm honest with you, I didn't think you were going to score the winner, but I actually thought there was more chance of us uh, nicking the points and um, getting the second, which is quite interesting. If you, we'll probably come on to it, but if you look at the timeline of sort of shots and um, the XG going towards the latter parts of the game, uh, Brentford probably did I, I think you, you didn't really have many shots basically after the red card obviously you had the penalty but nothing else really of, of note um, there was the disallowed goal which is another sort of poor officiating where I, I forget your substitute's name the one that comes Richard. yeah so that that was um, that was really unfortunate I mean that would have changed the entire evening but other than that chance there wasn't really anything major in the box it was cleverly had a couple of moments that scuffed wide uh which is really interesting because the commentators sort of described cleverly as one of the most naturally gifted players that he'd ever seen and i just thought was he talking about someone else i wasn't sure if he, <laughs> if he made cleverly but i i i just, I just saw we we just we, we attacked enough just to keep you sort of occupied and um and sort of one fouls when the ball did go up to the other end and and uh, just to keep just to keep the clock running down just enough and then uh, i think we came close to close to nicking it ourselves yeah, Jordan, what do you think it was about Watford that didn't allow them to take advantage of the fact that they had a you know a spare man on the field for for a good portion of the game? I mean, getting a man sent off is actually kind of a, a bit of a debatable topic. I've spoke I've spoken to lots of lots of coaches and stuff that have said that they actually don't really feel like it changes mentality. It doesn't have to change mentality too much when you go down to ten. Um, it's all about how you approach it. And if you if you're in a position as Brentford were last night, sorry, where they felt comfortable in possession, they felt like they've had the advantage in those situations. They don't have to change too much. If they can still get players into their areas, they might have to take a few risks if they want to be aggressive still. But they can they can still dominate parts of the pitch. 
that they were doing so beforehand. So it doesn't have to be a massive momentum changer. I think it gives the the team who who have a player sent off it gives you that kind of psychological impact where you feel like you've got a little be a little bit more defensive. But if you're coached well, you don't have to be necessarily. And I thought I thought Brentford did a good job of not not becoming uh, too passive once once they once they lost the once they lost the man. So. Yeah, I think we just didn't really get in a position where we could control the game. I don't think having 10 players made enough of a difference for us to do so because ultimately I don't think our midfield that we had on the pitch was anywhere near the best that we have available to us or, or hopefully soon have available to us. And I just don't really think they have the ability to, to pull teams around like that, especially if Brentford had decided to become a little bit more compact and tight. I think we really would have struggled. So I think Brentford were pretty confident in the fact that even with the 10, that we weren't quite able to just to pull them out position and as it happened we didn't really change our plan much at all had a little bit more of a uh, impetus in in the way we moved the ball but it was still very similar patterns and and pretty direct and just not enough to cause trouble yeah it certainly was better than the first half though where um Watford you know failed to really get anything on target uh in the second half they they did challenge a bit more and and obviously we've mentioned they had the disallowed goal that would have changed everything but um ultimately it felt like the draw was the right result for for both teams, really. But what did you think about uh, the way that Brentford didn't really s- look to settle for the point, like um, like many teams perhaps would if they were the away side? Well, uh, yeah, I think we probably just have to recognise that Watford are a team of sort of quite expensive players, and I don't think your midfield's good. I said that in the prime. I don't think the players we saw on the pitch, Chalobah, Cleverly, or Garner, are really. Um, sort of top-end championship midfielders. I think they're probably mid-tier, which is probably going to be weird to hear for maybe some of your listeners. But there is always going to be moments that they, they sort of dominate. And I think when a team that powerful does actually attack, it's actually quite... It's, it's, hard, it's hard to stop for, for any team. It is going to be... It's more... It's more does Ivic take the handbrake off and does he does he does he sort of um, push players like sort of ten yards forward and there were a couple of moments I think Brentford struggled because we still have quite a young midfield. De Silva's played a lot of games um, at this level now. Jensen is in his second season uh, or his third. But my my point is they're still developing players. Like we're nowhere near the finished article and Janelt's in his first season in the in the division holding, and he probably looked like he'd been there for a really long time, but. It's not perfect, and I think there just was moments where, in the second half, just before the red, and then definitely after the red card, where you, you have to just dig in, and you're going to the ball isn't going to settle for you, or you're going to take a heavy touch, and and and, the, and an opponent's midfielder is going to pick up on it because you are yeah you're you're still carrying some players who've played at a really high level. I just don't think the on the ball quality is there to to maximise some of these situations. But you, you definitely got livelier uh, after the red card. It, it, it was um, harder to keep in but really I, I think we're just slightly more athletic I think I, I think our midfielders are a bit better at carrying the ball and that probably showed and, and yeah as Jordan was saying even with 10 men I, I think you'd Kapue came on and did change some things I think you got a little bit more expansive when he was on the pitch which um, he sort of spread the ball wide a bit um, but other than yeah other than Saar sort of doing something magical I, I didn't really feel like there was sort of a systematic route to goal basically it needed Dini needed to sort of pick up the ball and just turn and hit one other than that it was you didn't look too threatening if you get my drift what was your Watford friend's uh, opinion of the game at the end Uh, at the end he was so happy with the draw he he was (laughs) yeah he's pretty honest Um, I I think he got a bit it's it's weird because people just sort of hear about Brentford and they think of them as just this small club and but when they actually see them play they get a real wake-up call and a shock about sort of what modern football is and and some of the principles and and how 
how you can get sort of unknown players to some people to play like that. And then it makes them sort of self-reflect and look at their own team and think, gosh, if they're doing that with that, what, what have we been doing for all these years? So he, he's quite frank. And um, But yeah, he was sending me through sort of stuff from... Watford forums about players sort of saying Ivic get out of our club I've had enough of this and stuff like that it was pretty brutal um, but at the end I, I think he kind of accepted that there wasn't enough in attack from you to really punish us and probably get the second and yeah he, he was quite honest and I think he accepted that 1-1 probably suited. Jordan do you think Ivic would, would take the 1-1? Um, I mean, I think in, on the bands of things he had to in the end, but um, I just want to touch on the mid- armour field really quick because that's something we've discussed a lot on Twitter and lots of us Watford fans have talked about. And I will say, David, it, it won't come as a surprise to hear you say that about a midfield because that mid- midfield three was, <laughs> no one was happy when they saw that lineup. Um, that we, we had that in the previous game and it's it's unfortunate that, that the three had to start again. There was there been some injuries and Will Hughes unfortunately contracted COVID and there was, there was some unavailability issues. And I'd say out of the, options we have available in midfield I'd say the three that started are probably at the bottom that they would be the three bottom in terms of starters that we'd, we'd choose between um, I think missing missing Hughes and obviously Kapu being on the bench they were they are definitely our two best midfielders and we also have the option of Dominguez Quina who's who's shown a lot of uh, some glimpses of real quality especially yeah, in that really attacking like area yeah. He's, he's he's a really good player and he's he's been perhaps underused at times and he's he's being eased into it and he's he's been used in a few different positions but we also were unfortunate to lose um Tom Dilly Bashiru to to an ACL injury and he was he was looking very promising so we've been unfortunate there and the midfield is actually going into the season you'd say that's probably our strong point um especially because we're so confident with what we've seen from Kapu and Hughes over the last few years they've definitely been by far two of the two of the strongest players in our in our Premier League campaign as well. So missing them has been a big impact to us. Um, I think that has kind of lent into us perhaps looking to be a more wing based team and trying to trying to play from there. The majority of our play comes from those areas. So our midfield really does feel like a literal engine room. Like there's not much <laughs> in terms of uh, in terms of trying to progress the ball through the centre. And we we literally have three bodies in there that go try and hassle and harry and and, and win the ball back and and possibly um, look to play forward from the wing. So, yeah, it, it was always going to be very disrupted in there and we were not feeling confident about that. So I think that was definitely a, a, a position that you guys had to exploit and I think you did a good job of that. So, um, yeah. yeah, it comes as no shock to us that we're not viewed as uh, strong in that position when those three start. <laughs> I mean, the thing with those as well is they're not individually they're not terrible players i'm not trying to just criticize them massively but as a three um they don't complement each other well at all um they're just all they all have that kind of that kind of feeling that they're not bad additions to a midfield if you're looking for that kind of keep possession ticking over and, and be you know athletic enough to get around the pitch and, and harry the opposition but if you have three of those it just doesn't really work for you and and that was definitely a stumbling block for us and it, it will be as long as it's um as long as it's, as, as a starting three that game at Vicarage Road was a game that had 2,000 Watford fans, but that's the last time that there'll be Watford fans for a little while because Watford have gone back to Tier 3, which means that no fans are allowed to attend the game throughout this period. There's a stat doing the rounds that uh, this season in the Championship has been the lowest for the average number of goals per game. It's fallen to around about 2.25, that kind of number. And... It hasn't been that low since 1892, which is uh, incredible. I, I just wonder, do you think the fact that there aren't fans in the games, more or less predominantly for the majority of this season, is having an impact on, on the fact that we're not seeing as many goals or is it just coincidental? I think there probably is something in that. Um, it's not the sole reason. I don't think, um, yeah, I, I think there's this this 
sort of feeling that fans will in goals and that they're behind many goals happening in games. I, I don't think that, that's not really true. It's, but the, the, what's happening this season is it's such an intense and sort of really, really busy schedule. So recovery's down. I think a lot of a lot of teams are suffering with big injuries. Um, I, I don't think there's any teams that are sort of naive enough to just go hell for leather game after game after game. I think there's just going to be moments where you need to conserve and and I, I think just underestimating this relentless schedule, it's Tuesday to Saturday sort of every week. And uh, I think a lot of players are just, just being coaxed through that and managed through that. And it's having an impact on attacking play. And that combined with the championship has slowly... So, so I think with the influx of quality of coaching, I, I think a lot more teams are finding it like they're sort of defending better. You're not seeing the golfing class and sort of attack free defence. I think a lot of teams now can establish themselves as good defensive units you're obviously always going to get big outlier wins and stuff and sort of high high margin wins but there's um there's there's definitely an improvement in sort of defensive shape and defensive structure and and a willingness to defend through games and just accept that actually we're not we're going to go for a nil nil here or we're just going to keep this really tight and try and play for a one nil from a set piece so it's a combination of things i think the fans might have had an impact um the fitness of players and also just a just an improvement in defensive coaching have you noticed the difference at Brentford with, with the fans being there? Uh, so the two games that the fans were there, um, they were two freezing cold, well, it was a freezing cold Tuesday night, um, I think against Blackburn. I might have got it the wrong way around and the other one was a Saturday and it was, I, I don't think they made any difference at all. It was, both games ended up in draws. One of them was a nil-nil. Um, one of the games, Brentford were 2-1 up and conceded really late and um, against men, actually, against Blackburn. We had 10 men and Blackburn scored an equaliser in sort of the 85th minute. So... Really, they had no impact. They're just, they're kind of it's just it's, they're just there for the spectacle. There'd have been a couple of moments where some players after the match felt they they came out and said that the fans willed them on. And Sergi Canos was a highlight for Brentford. He said that playing in front of the fans meant so much for him. And he scored his first goal in over in almost two years. Sort of his first goal involvement in almost two years, which. He can say that the fans willed that in, but basically he was due a goal anyway. So whatever he says doesn't really, it's not really, you've got to take it at face value. But um, his goal could have come at any stage, whether fans were there or not. Um, I think it's just convenient that it's a lovely narrative and it melts a lot to him. Yeah, I'm, I'm not um, not quite as uh, as romantic as I probably should be. That's right. It's that statistical brain of yours, David. It won't allow you to. <laughs> Jordan, what do you think? Yeah, I think it's probably pretty accurate. I mean, I think there's there's something to be said. I guess you could you could argue that players can, that fans can play a part in in certain moments of games. I think it can shift momentum at times. I think we've all been involved in in games at some level where you've you've seen just the reaction of fans kind of bleed into the players. But yeah, for the most part, I think you're, you're pretty spot on. It's not going to have the direct impact. And I think also too. I think a, a large portion of the time, it's actually away fans that, that make the difference for the teams. If fans mm. do have an influence anyway. Um, but yeah, I, th- I think there's also just a general pragmatism that's going on in football at the moment, off the pitch and on the pitch. I think we saw it in the transfer market with a lot of clubs. And I think on the pitch too, I think as, as David was saying, you're going to be a little bit more conservative and your medical teams are going to have more of a say in what's going on, I think, because they're ultimately they have to they have to worry about the longevity of the players a little bit more, um, especially with the schedule that's happening. So it's going to result in um, it's going to result in a few few cage year games. And yeah, if if it means that the teams are scoring less then that's what's going to happen because also as David was saying the coaching's improved so there are it's a different league than when we were last in it I think um, you're going to have a little bit of a 
you're going to have a, uh, some closer affairs. And we had we had some games in our in our promotion campaign where we won comfortably and we were pretty confident going in. Um, and we we scored, we conceded quite a few as well. But you, you can tell from the way the teams operate they're, they're more comfortable off the ball. And I think just football's evolved a little bit, and teams are starting to become more aware of of how they can operate in a, in a way to achieve achieve goals that kind of maybe beyond their means at times. And, and defending is a big part of that. So I think as time's gone on, it's just become a, a bigger part of the game, and it's something that we've got to get used to again. Nineteen odd games gone now for for most sides. It's interesting to note that. Uh... In 18 of the last 21 seasons, two of the three promotion-winning clubs were in the top six after this period. So do you think that uh, both Watford and Brentford could, could go back to the Premier League or, or, uh, or even to the Premier League for Brentford mm. in, their, in, their, in their case? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I, I, I think, yes, I think there's a chance this year. It's, it's Really, I think it's going to be survival of the fittest and probably who makes the best moves in January or who's the boldest in January. Um uh, who can get in, enough sort of fit players on the pitch without delving into their academies and sort of reserve players? Um, but Watford are a strong team. I, I can see I can see you being good enough defensively to get you through. I just don't know if you'll have enough in attack. I, I think if you look at a lot of your goals and your games, there's just single goal margins, nil nils. Uh, there's been a couple of I think you've got three where you've beaten teams by two goals, or there's been more than two goals for you. It's it's very tight at the moment, and if if you continue like that, it's you're, you're probably going to find out that nil nils do occur, or you sort of end up on the uh, on the wrong side of one nils. You're not quite doing enough to dominate who you're playing. So it it could be that Ivic doesn't go throughout the entire season, and a more attacking coach comes in, or um, a couple of additions, or as you said, some of your better players come back. But I, I think the cards are with you. If you, I wouldn't have thought if if something doesn't change, I think you might struggle, and you'll probably just make the playoffs. But I, I wouldn't have thought this team in this guise gets through automatics. No, no, there's there's too many better all round teams. I think at the moment, so it's Swansea, Brentford, um, Norwich, probably uh, Bournemouth as well. And yeah, you, you've got a little bit to go in that regard. But it's it's such a long season. There's so many more games that um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't um, nail anything in. I wouldn't lay any money on anyone going up just yet. Jordan, do you think the board really care too much about the football that's played as long as it's delivering the results? I mean, I think if you were to ask the fans, the fans would say we'd rather go up playing the same way that Brentford are playing and, and exciting, you know, exciting their fans the majority of the time. At the minute, most of the things I hear from Watford fans is, oh, well, you know, yeah, we might have got the win there, but it was pretty boring or, you know. Yeah, uh, I mean, yeah, yeah. I, I wouldn't underestimate when you're looking at when you're looking at Brentford and Watford, they're, they're two very different sides, but the, the amount of planning that goes into both of them, they've, they've both had a lot of a lot of input over the years, but Brentford have had the advantage of having that cohesive plan um, operating in the same division and, and working out a strategy and how to improve incrementally over the seasons. And they've, they've been able to, to have a consistency in recruitment in terms of looking at how to, how to assess players, how to bring them in and what type of players they want to have in and what type of football they want to produce. Whereas the difficulty we've faced is that we've gone through lots of transitions over the years. You've gone from being promoted, keeping, keeping yourself in the league, trying to take the next step didn't go quite right so you try to change approach again try and step forward again have some success and then you know you're in a competitive league so we've been in a constantly evolving cycle of um of of requirements we have to meet when it comes to to players on the pitch and, and coaching so Brentford have had a very a very stable base to work off in the sense they're very confident in, in their plan they haven't quite got promoted yet they've been very unfortunate not to especially last season um but the 
they're the kind of ideal you want to be looking at in terms of of how to to become a, a very good footballing team and be pretty stable in in how you do so but that takes a lot of time and we're trying to do it in a in one year which is obviously very mm-hmm. difficult um with Ivic himself i think this is i understand um what the board were thinking in him uh, he's he's definitely shown more um, in previous jobs that he, he, he is pragmatic, but he has got more to him offensively. I do think that we he's been trying to figure out a little bit how, how he can get that, that going in, in the right areas with the personnel he has available. I think he's been a little bit unfortunate in, in some of the players he's inherited to haven't quite fit what he wants to do. But there's a, as I said earlier, there's a pragmatism going on. So you can't be too expansive in terms of who you're bringing in. But he's got, he's got some players there that he can be effective with, but it might just need... Um, a little tweak in approach and I think we had seen that at times he changed that 4-4-2 and we got a little bit more success um, but ultimately he is confident in his team's defending and I think I think maybe maybe he can be at times I think we, we have shown that we are able to do so but we just need to see a little bit of uh, a little bit more freedom for some of our attacking players and just working out that structure because there is enough there to do so um, but I think going forward it, it's going to be a case of if he's not giving results he's going to be under pressure and that's always going to be the way things are if he had time then you know things might improve and he might be able to implement that plan a little more but ultimately I think if you try to get out of this league by sitting on your on your narrow margins of a lead you're going to struggle and I think it's going to be it's going to be very difficult to make sure you're on the right side of them one nil is often enough and, and you're going to have a lot of draws and ultimately that is going to be a playoff spot in, in the best case scenario so yeah I think things have to change or we probably are looking at that for now. That's Jordan Weimer, football analyst and Watford fan. And you can follow him on Twitter for, as always, quality content at Jordan Weimer. And also David Anderson featuring today as well at David Anderson underscore one. And he's putting out loads of interesting stuff too, as is Brentford FC Tactical at these Tactical. So I suggest you follow both of them too. Right, well, that's it from this part of the show for the analysis of the Hornets versus the Bees. I think the only thing we can really be sure of is that they are, well, they're both pretty annoying around a picnic, aren't they? Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 